The Daily Tap is live for Wednesday. We are going to talk about overreactions and OTAs. We are also going to chat about Christian Yelich a little bit. What does a good month look like for Yelly? We'll also add in three takes and out our baseball segment to talk about Brewers Cubs. And then lastly, we will chat a little bit about Brett Favre on Tucker Carlson in the Chuck's Corner. But before we do all that, make sure you're following us on social media, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram, TikTok, as well as Facebook. Also, uh, make sure that if you're already subscribed, make sure you're rating and reviewing. And also share with friends. Tell people who we are. Tell them what we're all about. If they enjoy Wisconsin sports, not just one team, but all the teams, we got you covered. All right, let's talk about the Packers and let's talk about OTAs. OTAs have started for the Green Bay Packers. This is their second round. They took a weekend off. And there haven't been a lot of Packers that have shown up. This drew some frustration to Matt LaFleur yesterday as he made comments about guys not being there. And he seemed visibly annoyed. Guys like Amari Rogers, Sammy Watkins, Aaron Rodgers, obviously, Alan Lazard, J.R. Alexander, Patrick Taylor, Adrian Amos, Rashawn Gary, Jonathan Garvin, Randy Ramsey, Mercedes Lewis, and Preston Smith were all not present at OTAs. Now, that is a laundry list of players. That is a, I wouldn't say a majority, but that is a good amount of starting player starting players on the Packers roster. Now, a couple of them deserve some context, such as Preston Smith, who just had another baby girl. Congratulations to him. Aaron Rodgers is out at the match playing golf and talking shit to Patrick Mahomes. Also, there were a lot of flight issues. Now, I would argue that it's kind of on the Packers a little bit that they didn't start OTAs today. I understand that you want to get in as much. I understand the NFL schedule is weird, but the fact is that Starting at the day after Memorial Day, you're obviously going to have guys that are going to come in late, that are guys that are going to want to soak up the weekend. Whether they're in Vegas trying to beat some cheeks or they're at home with their family, they don't necessarily want to fly into Green Bay on Memorial Day. So they're trying to fly in as late as possible. And that's why I'm sure some of these guys missed. We'll see what the list looks like tomorrow if how much it changes and how many guys did in fact have flight issues but there are some people that are mad about this some people that are annoyed and for me i don't necessarily see this as that big of a deal i really don't i understand that some people are going to say well this is when you win championships first of all it's voluntary all right the packers are an older team do i think that some of these guys need the work yeah absolutely I saw somebody make, well, Jair gets paid and then he suddenly doesn't show up. Dude, I don't know. If I got paid, do I really want to come to voluntary work? Like, why do I need to put in the work? I got paid. I'm there. I'll be there next week. That's the other thing. They're mandatory next week. So I don't know if this is that big of a deal. The Most of the guys that missed were older dudes, okay? Watkins is an older dude. Smith, we mentioned about the kid, but... Older dude, Mercedes Lewis, older dude, Adrian Amos, a little bit of older guy, Aaron Rodgers, yes. Do I think the young guys should be there? Absolutely. I understand that Rashawn Gary has a regimen and Rashawn Gary is an absolute freak and is working out on his own. I think we've seen enough Twitter and Instagram clips to know this. But that said, I do think the younger guys probably should be there. So I'm not necessarily freaking out. I do think it's a little bit 
I guess annoying isn't even the right word. It's just one of those things that I think you'd expect a lot of those guys to be there, but maybe because Aaron Rodgers isn't there, they're seeing it as a free out. And I don't think this was personally a shot at Rodgers. I think some people are trying to make it out to be. But I think those who are basically needing content for the offseason and saying like, oh my God, like this is kind of a shot at Rodgers, even though LaFleur and Rodgers talked about it last week and Rodgers was like, I'm not going to be there. And they had a good talk per LaFleur. I believe that was either Friday or, or Thursday when LaFleur basically announced that Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be at OTAs. And if you remember, I said last week on I think Tuesday or Wednesday show that it wasn't that big of a deal. And I, I still stand by that. I do understand that Aaron Rodgers is a leader and some probably say, if Rodgers isn't there, why shouldn't I be there? Now, the Alan Lazard rumors about that he hasn't actually accepted his offer and that he could try to force his way out this offseason, that is a kind of a baked conspiracy right now going on in the Packer Reddit world. I'm not sure I'm ready ready to believe that yet. I think if he doesn't show up for mandatory uh, OTAs next week, then yeah, we have some problems. But yes, I assume that all of these guys will be back next week. I don't expect that to be an issue with any of those dudes and I think you'll you'll be okay. And so I don't necessarily see this as that big of a deal. I know a lot of people are going to wring their hands, but you got to also remember we are in the dire stages of content right now. We are in sort of the doldrums for the next month. So of course, everybody is going to grasp on one little thing because this is all they have. And there are other overreactions that are worth mentioning here as we talk about the Green Bay Packers and OTAs. We really need to stop judging every practice on these wide, young wide receivers. Christian Watson and Romeo Dubs are on an absolute microscope and both got it yesterday. And these are from people I respect, okay, folks? Like, I want everybody to understand this. Like, I'm not trying to be a dick about this. I'm just calling it how I see it. I'd have any of these people on my podcast. If they're sensitive because I'm being critical of how they tweet or how they approach Twitter, then that's fine and we'll go our separate ways and agree to disagree. I'm just not going to suck everybody's dick, all right? Simple as that. So Andy Herman talked about Christian Watson has had a drop in every OTA that he's seen thus far. And he's like, ah, it's, maybe it's a little concerning, but Aaron Rodgers, you know, doesn't like drops, yada, yada. And then Herman was like, whoa, whoa, I, I didn't mean to like get everybody going. People made comments about Jamar Chase. Remember, Jamar had a very bad summer and then came through with the rookie of the year season. Now, I think Andy, while he does great, great work, I think he was, he's a little too deep, right? Like, I think it's looking a little too far in. Like, this guy's getting balls from Jordan Love and Kurt Bankert, right? Like, he's not necessarily getting balls from Aaron Rodgers. If he's dropping Aaron Rodgers' passes, then yes, that's a little bit of a concern. But also, going back to Jamar Chase, I'm not saying Christian Watson is going to be Jamar Chase, but Jamar Chase had drops all summer. We talked about it. People worried about it. It took down his fantasy value, whatever it may be. Everybody was kind of freaking out about Jamar Chase not being able to catch the football. And that turned out to be a complete nothing burger when they got onto the field. So I'm not necessarily ready to just be like, oh, Christian Watson is going to have time or is is going to struggle developing into the Packer system. I think it's ridiculous to worry about that stuff in fucking June. I really do. I, I, 
I can't think of something that is more irrelevant than Christian Watson dropping footballs in June without Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, all right? Like, it, it's going to matter at some point, but it's not today. If Christian Watson is consistently dropping balls in July and August, I, I then have a little bit of trepidation of where is this guy's ceiling for the year? But even then, again, it's all practice. It's all, you know, sort of, it's, it's sort of just becoming a pro. It's going to take time. I can't assume that these guys are going to be superstars from day one. I realize we all want them to be. I think that there are some Packer fans that think they might be. But we have to understand that they're going to take some time and they deserve at least a little bit of, not necessarily credit, but they deserve a little bit of our space and to give them time. And I realize Packer fans do not give anybody time. It's like they wanted to fire Joe Barry after week one, right? Like Joe Barry was like, he was persona non grata. I had my own concerns about Joe Barry after week one. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I worried about the nepotism hire. I worried that this was LaFleur hiring his buddy. And now I'm all, all on board with Joey B. And I believe that Joe Barry has a really good defense and will have a really good season as defensive coordinator. But I do think we all have to have a little patience with Christian Watson as well as Romeo Dobbs. And Dobbs on the other side made a hell of a catch. Like he made a great catch and he got praised for it, and it was a pass from Ben Kurt. But again, we need to chill. That's on the other side of it. It's like, all right, yeah, you made a great catch in practice. All right, I don't know. It's not gonna. It's not gonna translate into games. It's not just immediately gonna be like, oh my god, this guy is going to be a superstar, like Justin Ross last week, right? Everybody was coming their pants for Justin Ross and like how good Justin Ross looked, and like even I said, well. He becomes something. I'm just going to be kind of catatonic. The backers didn't take a chance and didn't take a flyer on Ross. And I still feel that way. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. But at the same time, just because Justin Ross made a sweet catch in practice doesn't mean this guy is the second coming of Jerry Rice. All right? Like, we all have to just take it easy on the contact machine. Like, I understand that some people have a job to do. I get it. Okay? But I feel like there are better ways to go about it and say, well, yeah, I made a great catch or Watson's having some drops. But it's not something that I think is concerning yet. I think it's something that we saw happen with Jamar Chase last year. Not saying he is Jamar Chase, but that's something that can be fixed within a summer. Or with Dobbs, like, yeah, he's making some great catches. It'll be interesting to see how he does with Aaron Rodgers. And yes, I'm telling these people how to do their jobs, but that's okay. I feel like that... There needs to be a little bit less of like, hey, let me basically overreact to this one thing in June versus just like calling it how we see it and then setting up the story for months to come. That to me is the better way to go about it, but that's that's just me. One overreaction that I actually think is warranted is David Bakhtiari. David Bakhtiari is still doing rehab is a little bit weird. Now he's with the team, he's there in Green Bay, which is good, but I kind of thought things would be better now and they're not. Now, Green Bay has told us that this was the plan all along. That by training camp, David Bakhtiari was going to be ready. Now, you can look at this in my way where I was like, it's a little weird. Where Bakhtiari, it seemed like he just needed to clear out a bunch of fluid in his knee. He talked about it with Cheesehead TV, kind of doing like a Players Tribune type 
you know, piece where he explained how bad his knee was and how he just could not move his knee because he had so much fluid in there. And you thought, okay, your knee gets strained and you're feeling good and you're ready to roll. So there is that and he's not. And so it's like, well, okay, is it a little bit more serious? Like, how bad was this ACL tear? Was this like one of the worst ACL tears? And as an offensive lineman, it's impossible to, to kind of come back. And it's not your prototypical knee tear where we've seen a lot of guys, linemen included, be able to kind of bounce right back. Or did the Packers training staff fuck something up? And if it's the latter, I'm a little worried about Elton Jenkins because you have to then be concerned, all right, are we going to do the same song and dance with Jenkins when he's ready to play probably middle of the year next year? Like, is that is that what we're going to deal with? Is Jenkins going to be ready in the middle of the year? I don't know. That's Those are questions that probably need to be answered. But then there's the other side of it. And we, this is more positive. This is more like, hey, I just talked about guys not overreacting. If we don't want to overreact here, we want to just kind of think about this a little bit clearer. Maybe it's just the Packers are being extra cautious. They paid David Bakhtiari a shit ton of money. The last thing that they want is David Bakhtiari hurting himself in OTAs. So in training camp, yes, at some point you have to take the training wheels off. Take the training wheels off in July. Maybe that, and like LaFleur said, plan all along. Maybe that's something that LaFleur, Bakhtiari talked about, worked out, offensive line coach as well. Ostenovich, like I think maybe everybody was aligned to say, all right, we're going to start this in training camp. David, make sure when we get out of OTAs, when we get out of, you know, the mandatory stuff, like make sure that you're fucking ready. Like make sure you are ready to go. Like there's no like exhaustion. There's no tiredness. Like you are ready to be an NFL lineman again. I hope that's what Green Bay is doing. I doubt you'll see him in, in preseason games. Although I think that's probably a discussion for August where there might be a reason to get Bakhtiari out there to see some game action. I I could probably make an argument for every one of our players just as the lesson learned from last year. I think the Packers are going to approach preseason a lot different than they did uh, last season just based on the debacle in New Orleans and then them basically coming out the gate slow against a weak Detroit team and they've turned it on in the second half, won that game, and then the rest is history. But still, it was there was a lot of things wrong in those first six quarters of football, especially on the offensive side of the ball. So I do expect things to slightly change, but we'll see. But yeah, in general, I think that we're all craving content right now. We all want there to be so much content with the Green Bay Packers. And the fact of the matter is, is we are just going through practice. There's a lot that happens, a lot that doesn't happen. I think that more guys should be there, especially if they aren't an older vet where it's like, I don't know, I have my own regimen. I know what I'm doing. I'm all right. Like at some point, I do think you earn the right to choose whether to go to voluntary practice or not. But if you're on the cut line, or you're on this, like it's, that's going to be remembered, man. Like if you get outplayed in the in the training camp, they're gonna remember the guys that are there and the guys that are not. So that that would be my only thought, right? But we'll see what happens. Um, we'll see if Green Bay gets more guys today. We'll see if people can chill out with some of their receiver takes. But you know, I'm sure they will keep coming as people have a job to do. Moving on to Christian Yelich and the Milwaukee Brewers. Milwaukee Brewers lost tonight. Last last night, we'll talk about that in a little while. 
Dan Needles, former sports director of Channel 12. A lot of media takes today. Um, he's been very hard on Christian Yelich. Now, Dan Needles, I would say, is still a voice in Milwaukee media, even though he says he's a former media member. Needles probably tweeting more like a fan and more like his radio personality. He used to do the D-List with Drew Olson, which was one of my favorite local radio shows when I was a kid. I thought they did a really good job. I thought they kept it pretty fun, kept it pretty loose. And then as people get older, the takes kind of get more stale. And you start becoming kind of an old man and it's kind of get off my lawn. And then you're like, okay, I'm not probably I'm not probably in your age range anymore. So with Dan, he's been really hard on Christian Yelich. He's been really riding Christian Yelich. And a lot of fans seem to be responding in that way. And I think at this point we have a failed or false sense of expectation with Christian Yelich. I think we need to sort of take a step back with Yelich. And I've I've kind of talked about this. I've kind of discussed this in the past. I I don't necessarily think that Christian Yelich is on the same pedestal as he once was. Christian Yelich is not in the Juan Soto, Mike Trout uh, category anymore, right? Those guys are in another stratosphere. Mookie Betts, another guy that I could put in that stratosphere. Christian Yelich is probably in that second or maybe even third tier. The same can be said for his sort of cohort during that time, Cody Ballinger. Like, Cody Ballinger is in that sort of category. These guys are basically, I wouldn't say shells of themselves, but they're not the same player they were in sort of the juice ball era and the video era. And you could say, well, did Yelich benefit so much from those two things and he hasn't been able to find his mojo? I don't know. I, I thought Christian Yelich was coming back. I thought we were going to get this revival from Christian Yelich. And he's now hit 229 for the last two months. I think Needles has a right to be critical, but I think it's kind of annoying when you're basically ragging on just one guy. He is not the only reason that the Brewers are losing games. And it's kind of like a privileged sports fan. Like, it's a little bit entitled townish to be like, all right, Yelich is this fucking problem. And it's like, they're 32 and 19. Like, they're not a bad team right now. If the Brewers were 500 and Christian Yelich is struggling, for sure, hit the dog pile. Like, that is definitely worth dogpiling. But right now, the Brewers are playing good baseball. They're going to have a winning road trip, whether they lose or win against Chicago on, on today. Like, that's worth celebrating. Christian Yelich, yeah, hasn't been great. But he did have two hits last night. Yes, he did strike out in the ninth inning. I'm not going to point my finger at Christian Yelich and say that Christian Yelich is the problem for this Brewers team because I don't really think it is. Like, if you're saying what's wrong or what what issues right now the Brewers have, yeah, Yelich is an issue. McCutcheon's not hitting the ball. Why isn't McCutcheon getting criticized? The sort of awkwardness of Lorenzo Cain, like, Lorenzo Cain just is a is not a baseball player right now. Like, he is borderline at DFA status. And you don't necessarily want to talk about that, but that's how it is. Trevor Kelly, not a big league pitcher right now. Brent Suter had a good outing, but Brent Suter's ERA was over five as a bullpen guy. That is a problem, okay? Like, those are significant issues for the Brewers that go beyond Christian Yelich. Would I hope that Christian Yelich is better? Yeah, for sure. But do I think that Christian Yelich is the only reason? No. And maybe I just have to mute needles so he stays out of my feet. I don't even follow him. 
and I fortunately people retweet him and I have to fucking see it. So that's that's on me and maybe I just need to mute mute him and not get fu- so fired up. But I do wonder what does a good month look like for Christian Yelch. And I was thinking about it and I was like, ah, probably 275, three to seven home runs and a limited amount of strikeouts, like a strikeout rate that was under 20%. I feel like that would be a good month for Christian Yelch. I think if you get a strikeout rate under 20%, you have seven home runs, three to seven home runs, you hit 275, I think you're like, all right, that is a sign of things in the right direction. And now we've seen guys, I mean, Ramos Ramirez most famously, that have kind of had struggling first two months and then absolutely turned it on in the months of June, July, and August as the, as the summer gets hot. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be Christian Yelich, but you never know. Could the Brewers sort of reconfigure their their uh, starting lineup. Maybe Yelich hits leadoff. Maybe Yelich hits in the fifth spot. Who knows? That could potentially be on the table. I'm sure they're going to talk and figure out what makes the most sense for this team. Now, Christian Yelich, I think, also needs to be more aggressive. I was reading a Fangraphs article from last year about how if Yelich was more aggressive, he'd probably see better pitches. And I, I, I agree with that. Like, I think Yelich... Sometimes he's so patient and wants that perfect pitch that all of a sudden it gets the two strikes and he's like, oh shit, I have to swing the bat because I'm going to strike out. And then he ends up striking out versus just attacking the first good pitch he sees or the first kind of good pitch he sees. Like if you look at Yelich's stats, when in the counts like 0 0-1, 1-0, like he has a lot of success. But when it gets the two strikes, Yelich is completely fucked. And I don't know if it's guessing. I don't know if it's feeling like this urge that he has to swing the ball. I don't know. Uh, swing the bat, not swing the ball. But still, like it, I do think that Christian Yelich can be fixed. I'm not going to, again, panic here and be like, okay, this is just who Yelich is. He's a 230 hitter. But if Christian Yelich has another 230 month in June, then yeah, you have to have a real conversation about where you put Yelich in this order to see if you can kind of revive him because having a two hitter hitting 230 and have three home runs is not necessarily going to get it done for most teams and especially a team who's 32 and 19 on the season. As for the game itself, it was a dumb game. I mean, Wrigley Field has these every year because of the weather and the heat and the wind and everything like that, but it was definitely one of those sort of games where you're like, all right, whatever. You lose the game, you throw your hands up, it happens. It was a rough night for the bullpen. I mentioned Trevor Colley. Trevor Colley, not a big league pitcher. He just isn't. I'm sure he's going to get de- he's going to get sent down today uh, for Jason Alexander. Cue every Costanza joke possible. Um, and then the defense in the sixth inning was a disaster. A um, couple of hard plays, I will say, like both at the brick walls for Taylor and Yelich. I guess it's kind of one of those double-edged swords, right? You want them to make the play. But if they make the play and, let's say, bruise an arm or they break an ankle or something like that, is it worth making that play in the sixth inning? I don't know. Do I think Yelich could have played that ball better? Absolutely. Do I think that was a really difficult catch? 100%. I think the way the ball was going in the wind was difficult. I think the lights at Wrigley can be sometimes kind of funky. The one with Yelich and, and Kane, that was just two old guys, right? Two guys that could not close. Maybe Yelich... Could have dove and laid out for that, but I think he didn't want to crash into Lorenzo Kane. And maybe because Kane has been such a good outfielder in the past, Yelich sort of assumed that Lorenzo would get there 
or Lorenzo has got there in the past. So, rough night defensively, but hopefully it's just a blip on the radar. The other thing, too, is it's game 11 out of 10 days. Like, the Brewers have to be exhausted. Brewers have to kind of have this, like, could we just get some time off? And they don't. Like, there's no rest for the wicked, and the Brewers just have to remain focused as best they can. Brewers have to figure out, too, what they're going to do with Andrew McCutcheon. I alluded to this earlier, but Andrew McCutcheon's in a funk. Now, he tweeted out after game. He's like, I'm going to figure this out. Like, don't worry about it. I'm not necessarily too worried, but I do think that McCutcheon should be hitting sixth or seventh. I think you can kind of reconfigure this order to look a little different. Now, we don't know if Colton Long's going to play tonight. Uh, He's bothered by, he got hit by a pitch, so he has like an arm thing. So no, no idea if Colton Long's going to play or not. But I would imagine you're going to see a little bit of a different Brewers lineup tonight when they go on to take Chicago. So let's see who's on the mound for the Cubs. We have, like I said, Costanza on the mound for the Brewers. Oh, old friend Kyle Hedricks, who always seems to own the Brewers. But I imagine that the lineup will look a little different for Milwaukee. If I had to guess what that lineup might look like, maybe you try Urias leading off with Christian Yelich if Colton Wong doesn't play. This is a big caveat. Colton Wong doesn't play, yeah, maybe it's Urias, maybe it's Yelich, maybe you bump up Roddy Telez and Tyrone Taylor, and then you try to hit McCutcheon maybe 6th or 7th. Omar Nervais is another guy I think you could put up in the order. He's hitting 275. I, I think he's kind of had an underrated year. He hasn't really done anything from a production perspective, but he keeps getting hits. Like, he's bad at 275, right? I think you could see McCutcheon more at the lower part of the order. Um, Jace Peterson has been decent recently, so maybe as Peterson gets bumped up, um, who knows? But maybe it's just a day off for McCutcheon. Maybe he just needs a little bit of a breather. I think that's something they could do. You could stick Peterson again out in right field and bring McCutcheon in later as a defensive replacement if need be. We'll see what how creative the Brewers get and see if they do, in fact, give McCutcheon a day off. I'm not necessarily too worried that he's going to be this guy for the rest of the year. Last thought for the Brewers before we ride out. Victor Victor Carantini continues to be a bright spot for the Brewers. I think the depth is something that I was very concerned about for the Brewers this season. Not necessarily as I worried they wouldn't have it. It's just I thought it was one of the reasons why they couldn't necessarily carry it through in the postseason. The Brewers are very, very deep. And there are guys that can deliver big hits night in, night out, that aren't the main dudes. Um, whether it's Carantini, Brasso's had some moments, Jace Peterson has had some moments recently. Um, I definitely think that that is a welcome sign for Milwaukee. And they definitely needed a replacement for Manny Pini last year. Manny had, again, similarly had some moments, but also was sort of a shell of himself later in the year. Um, so Carantini is a guy that I think could be really productive for the Brewers and definitely a guy they can use off the bench all season. I, I don't know. Maybe you can play a little bit first base. Maybe you can use him as a pinch hitter if needed uh, this season. But yeah, shout out to Vic Carantini. I thought he's done some really nice things for the Brewers off the bench. And that was a sneaky good move by David Starnes. All right, moving on to Chuck's Corner. This is kind of a non-sports, sometimes sports-ish but definitely a little bit off the beaten path. Brett Favre was on Tucker Carlson yesterday. Well, he wasn't really on Tucker. He was on his like long form show that's on Fox Nation. That's like their streaming service. Um, and so far, and it's got almost like a video podcast, if you will. So Favre was on there with Tucker Carlson. Um, that drew some ire of some Packer fans. Um, definitely the left 
leaning Packer fans because Tucker Carlson is someone that they do not feel fond of. They do not like him. Uh, some people feel like he should be canceled, whatever. I, I will leave your opinions at the door there. But what I will say is that I don't personally care. Like, it doesn't not bother me that Brett Favre showed up there. But I can see how others would hate it. And I can see how those who don't like Tucker Carlson or those who don't like Fox News could be very upset that Brett Favre is there. I think that there would be a section of Packer fans that would feel the same way if Aaron Rodgers, not that he would, but if Aaron Rodgers showed up on MSNBC and talked to Rachel Maddow or another pack, like, I don't know, Bakhtiari ended up on Maddow, right? Like, I think that people would be upset if someone was on MSNBC for the Packers, another section of fans, more the right side of the Packer fans, and probably actually more people upset that uh, they're on MSNBC versus Fox News. I have said I said this about Rogers when he did the Rogan stuff, when he was talking about McAfee and very much on the anti-vaccine side. I said that Rogers should have kept his mouth shut. You have fans on both sides that there are you know people who are more liberal leaning that are Packer fans, just like there are Republicans who are Packer fans. Everybody on the political spectrum is a Packer fan. There are socialists who are Packer fans. There are extreme right people that are Packer fans, all right? So to me, this is where I'm like, if you want to be your own person, yeah, do whatever you want. Like, Favre's retired. If Favre wants to run for office, which probably not given his issues in Mississippi, which we'll talk about in a second here, If but if Favre wants to be distant from the Packers or doesn't want to be involved too much with the Green Bay, yeah, fuck. Do Fox News. Go ahead. Doesn't really matter. Like, that's okay. If you're just not a part of the organization, maybe you show up here and there, that's great. But if you're going to be doing local radio here, which he is with Gabe Chewy and, or I think Jen, Gabe and Chewy, I forget the name, I apologize to them. If you're going to do radio with them, if you're going to be sort of in the spotlight here in Milwaukee or in Green Bay, then you can't be doing political stuff. That's just something that you should not be doing on a, on a sort of a bigger stage like Tucker Carlson, who has a massive platform for his audience, all right? Like, that to me is something that I think Favre should have reconsidered, in my opinion. And also, too, the fact that Favre is dealing with this huge fraud scandal in Mississippi where he stole money from one of the poorest, actually the poorest state in our union, that that's really a bad thing, and that's a really bad look. And I realized that Brett Favre is not a good guy. And I've said this, I don't know how many times, but Brett Favre would not have survived the social media era. Like, he just wouldn't have. It would have been absolute hell for Brett Favre. So I think that Brett Favre should have just not necessarily done something like this. I don't think it was the right time for him to be in the spotlight. I get that he golfs to President Trump. I get that he has done stuff with, you know, the Republican Party in the past. Like, again, you're allowed to have your opinions. And again, for those who are more on the left side of things, I think it's frustrating because there are more guys probably on the right than you'd like to believe. But again, they're, they're millionaires, sometimes billionaires. And of course, they're going to probably be on more fiscally conservative side of things. But I understand that there's a lot more to this than just being a fiscal conservative. There's a lot. And we don't need to get into that. All right. But the fact is, is that I think if Favre's going to do stuff locally and he's going to be a kind of be omnipresent here with the Packers organization, I don't think you show up on things like Tucker Carlson. Now, do I think like the Packers or 
good karma should end their relationship with Favre because he showed up on Tucker? No. I think that's a massive overreaction. But I do think that if Favre's going to keep doing that, then you have to have a discussion and say it's kind of a conflict of interest. And it kind of conflicts with how we want to do that and we want to keep politics out and you're being very politically active. That that puts those people in an awkward position. So I, I think one time, yeah, fine. But I do wonder if Favre sort of becomes a regular or let's say he starts working with OutKick the Coverage with Clay Travis's outlet and Clay, who is owned by Fox, or Fox owns OutKick. I think it's just OutKick now. I don't even think it's OutKick the Coverage anymore. Uh, but anyways, like if Favre starts doing that, then yeah, they're probably, probably makes things a little bit awkward for those local, local entities. But we'll see. But yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of it. All right, that does it for today's show. Tapping the keg will be back tomorrow. It's good. It's been a while. Mitch and I haven't done it. Uh, we're going to talk at least, I think, about unwatchable finals. Um, necessarily NBA, but this this could be Super Bowls. This could be you know baseball. Uh, so Mitch and I are going to go through that list and talk through what that looks like. Because I think the list is actually way deeper, just given all the heartbreak uh, Wisconsin fans have had in the past. So I'm going to come up with that list, send it to Mitch, and we're going to rate on a unwatchable versus I can deal with, with whatever came. All right. Take care of yourself. Have a great Wednesday. We'll be back tomorrow. See you guys. Bye.